0: You're about to join Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing, and learn about the most dependable and consistent, yet often overlooked, investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor podcast series. Jerry
1: Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor series, where we share our experiences, the ups and the downs, of what it's like to be a rules-based investor. And of course, where we also attempt to answer all of your questions. Good morning, Jerry. Good afternoon, Moritz. How are you guys doing this weekend?
2: Great, Niels. Good morning. Good afternoon, Jerry. Hello, guys.
1: Hey. Um, a pretty hectic week, uh, I thought, uh, at least on the political front. We had the the G2 or, or the G20, I guess it's called, uh, concluding last week uh, after we recorded um, and of course, there was the usual good intentions, um, and that seems to have lifted stocks uh, this week. Um, the um, the you know on the European side, however, they struggled to agree on a new leadership team. I think it took them like three days to find some new and and surprising names. I guess one of them uh, most relevant to us was Christine Lagarde uh, as new head of the ECB, and of course, many of you. Listening today will know that she has been out saying in the past that sub-zero interest rates in Europe and Japan are net positives for the global economy, although she does warn that the side effects of unorthodox central bank policies should be closely monitored. And what I found interesting was that at the same time, Uh, We also saw that the head of the uh, Bank for International Settlements, uh, a guy called Augustine Carstens, uh, he took a very different approach uh, when they released their annual report. He said, uh, we would stress that it is important to present some room for maneuver um, for more serious downturns. Monetary policy should be considered more as a backstop rather than a spearhead of a strategy to influence uh, higher sustainable growth so two completely different views here and then of course on friday we had a pretty strong jobs report uh which i think may have put a little bit of a dent uh at least in some um fixed income portfolios um but it didn't seem to be that bad so you know seems to be a continued very confusing picture if you're an investor of course we don't really worry about it since we only follow the price. But uh, with all of that in mind, Moritz, how how was your first week of Q3, July?
2: Good week. Um, four good days, made money from the Lagarde effect. Uh, you know, along the bonds, 10-year yields, I think, are slightly less than minus 40. That's German yields, the boons. So we're all along those bonds and uh, and made money of that. Um Off the back of that. And then on on, on Friday, yesterday, it was just the opposite where, you know, we had the strong job reports, the non-farm payrolls in the US and bonds sold off, equities down, gold down. So pretty much everything in the portfolio lost money. I lost a half percent and a half yesterday, but overall for the week still up more than 2%. So good start into the third quarter of this year. And, um, you know, some interesting movements there, like, you know, for instance, gold, I mean, gold was performing so well, uh, rising the last couple of, of weeks strongly. And then, you know, of course, as trend followers would do, we increase our long positions. And uh, just about when you're getting fully long, the thing's turning around. So, you know, <laughs> uh, the never-ending story, but uh, still like that position. And um, in general, the portfolio, I'm quite happy with the way that looks. Velda wears a in terms of positions, longs and shorts in there. So, you yeah. know. Let's. Uh, I'm looking forward to Q3.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll echo your uh, kind of weekly performance. Very similar uh, on our side. Um, also very similar in terms of where we ended the week. Um, so uh, you know, a good start to the new quarter. Um, I like the breadth meaning uh, of the portfolio. I mean, I think there are a lot of things that are are, are in play. Um, on our side, I mean, of course, in the fixed income markets, we saw some give back on the U.S. side, but still making money for the week in, in, in Europe on the fixed income side. Um, equities, actually, Japan was the only area of, of the portfolio where equities were hurting. The rest still um, produced a little bit of a positive. Um, and, um, you know, the main winners for us really was the currencies. Um uh, a little bit of gains in energies, uh, a bit of uh, gains in in grains, um, but pretty broad based. Um, so I, I like the fact that there is a lot of movement right now in many of the markets. Also, when you just look at the outright moves for the week, um, you know we have certainly seen a lift in in volatility on I think a classical CTA portfolio. Although we're not really seeing. A lot of volatility overall. I mean the VIX is still pretty trading at, at 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 fairly low levels. So it's not like I think the whole world is concerned about increased volatility just yet. Um so yeah, that's how it all played out. What about you, Jerry? Single stocks, Bitcoin? What was happening this week?
3: <laughs> well, we've been warned not to talk too much about Bitcoin. So uh, it's been really volatile, up and down and, uh, crazy moves like gold. You know, it's kind of funny, gold sold off hard, rallied. A lot. I don't know how many fifty or more. Then it crashed again. So, uh, Bitcoin looks a little bit like gold, I guess. <clears throat> but it was good to see the dollar kind of try to stage a rebound towards the end of the week. Um, with, uh, but also i um, long a few now. Mexican peso could be considered in an uptrend along with the Russian ruble, um, at least the Indian. Rupee futures made some new highs this week as well. So that's kind of good to have some longs and some shorts. And the shorts performing pretty good on the downside. Uh, Grains, soybeans kind of divorced from wheat and corn this week. Maybe started back into their downtrend. Uh, Short canola. I don't know if you guys trade canola, but that's the weakest of all the grains. Corn reminds me of of, um, gold a little bit. Goes up, goes down, goes back up. Pretty volatile market and uh, directionless. I think, uh, as I've said before, it's a profit. So use that profit as uh, your backbone to just stay in the trade. And uh, you've got, I've got a good entry with a good ATR associated with it. So I'm not gonna get too uptight about this. Uh, extreme movement in this small, extreme movement in the open trade profit in this small trade. It's, I'm just trying to ignore it and uh, <clears throat> hopefully these things will reemerge. Uh, there was a, something I read a few weeks ago. and We've heard this. It's like a little cliche and that is something like um, if the market doesn't act like you think it's supposed to act, then you could just go ahead and get out. And I was like, no, God, no, it never acts the way I think it's supposed to act. And these markets are always doing head fakes. Uh, you get really bullish one day and really happy with your position. The next day, it could be down a lot, and that's the Italian bonds. Uh, you know, they were up a lot and then down a lot. So, I think uh, follow your system, follow your exit, and you, have, you should have no expectation of is the market behaving the way I think it should?
2: Yeah, nobody knows that. But interesting, you mentioned the currencies because you know we've been on that on that show saying we're long all the bonds, we're long the dollar against all of the other currencies. And the same here. I now have a long position in the Japanese yen. I have a long position in, I think, the Canadian dollar and the Swiss franc, which is, you know, the new feature of my portfolio because for the past nine months, this just hasn't been the case and it's just been all about the dollar. So this has become more diversified now also.
1: Yeah, I mean, and as you talked about, Jerry, um, you know, the the, the, the importance of, of having rules to follow and all of that. I mean, I really truly believe that when you just see the, the landscape out there and you see all this noise coming through um, you know from important places I mean let's not forget that you've got someone that uh, Trump at the moment is trying to nominee uh, for the Fed who doesn't necessarily believe that the Fed should uh, be setting the interest rate at all you know and has been out saying that how how can 12 people even be capable of doing so I mean this is pretty radical stuff and and I think it must be incredible uh, incredibly hard for uh, fundamental investors to um, to one, figure out what is really going on, and and then two, to be sure that that you can put on positions that will uh, benefit from from your your own interpretation of, of this uh, news flow. So in that sense, I think it's so much easier to just uh, stick with your own um, with your own system. Even though we saw a paper out this week uh, from our friends at AQR and other brilliant short write-up from Cliff Asness and um, where he essentially talks about something he's talked about before which is you know how hard it is to to stick with something even if you know in advance that it's going to be hard at some point i think he goes back uh, i don't know 16 18 months to a presentation he did where things were at the time you know doing really well but where he was telling people warning people in advance that at some point you're going to find it really hard to stick with and of course they're going through that period right now and he's reminding people as well as himself um, that you know this is uh, this is part of the game um, as 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 uh, as hard as it, it may be when when you go through that pain it's it's nothing unusual and and the three of us were talking about it you know six months ago I thought find it so ironic six months ago everybody was talking again about the uh, the the woes of trend following and how it doesn't work and and not only have trend followers as a as an industry had the best first half since two thousand and eight, um, but it's been relatively consistent. Um, even though it hasn't been, you know, you know, trends in every single corner of the portfolio, but there's been enough trends to to put in some decent uh, performance uh, for sure. Should we jump straight to um, something we didn't do last week? Because of course we were blessed with uh, the uh, the attendance of uh, Salem Abraham which was a great uh, conversation uh, always uh, good to listen to someone who's practicing trend following the way he does um, but so we missed out on tweets maybe there are even more than usual Jerry I don't know but we can jump in where you feel like sure it's a pretty good week
3: for that um, I ended up listening to a podcast uh, flirting with models Corey stein and uh he, his guest was Wayne sign and, and uh two of our guests we've had and uh so those two were together and I really like this podcast it was really interesting uh you know Wayne is like a um you know he's a he's a very interesting guy to read and listen to and he's really smart and he's almost a trend follower but uh you know He has his own points of view, and I really like listening to him. But uh, one of the things he said, and I tried to, um, I had to sort of, you know, keep rewinding and writing and typing to get, uh, hopefully I got this kind of close. I think he liked these tweets uh, when he saw them. Um, But anyways, the first one is, uh, Corey is asking him about uh, when the system stopped working. And he goes, you know, when will we know the strategy has stopped working? And Wayne says, uh, at one point in time, he faced this idea, and he said uh, to himself, this thing is broken. And so he stopped trading it. And then a few years later, he did some back tests and found out that, oh my gosh, it came back. It's still working. And uh, he said, I believed it was broken, but it went in and out of wide regimes. And he said, we never know is the true answer. Uh, So I thought that was pretty good. If
1: I can comment on that, Jerry, for a second, I think it brings up an interesting point, something that uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy on his podcast, uh, Invest Like the Best, have been talking about in the past, and I think it's a very important uh, point. He talks about the research graveyard. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, the the way I've been talking about this for for decades, I guess, is that um, trend following is like you have to find all the things that doesn't work until you find the things that work. Um, but he but he then also adds to the point about, well, but we shouldn't necessarily completely disregard what didn't work at the time because we um, you know, we should keep somehow monitoring this at, you know, and I'm not entirely sure how how frequently they look at it. Um, but when you bring in new talent, a new researcher with a different viewpoint, uh, who may not have read the same books as your current researchers, sometimes they can see things from a slightly different angle and they can make more sense of some research that has been previously done. Um, of course, it's a super difficult question to answer. I mean, when has something stopped working, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But, but I like the idea of this research graveyard. I th- actually think that, you know, again... Um, you know we shouldn't uh, completely dismiss uh, uh, you know for for good um, the things we find that doesn't work at the time because who knows maybe with a few tweaks uh, it can become uh, a profitable um, approach.
2: I agree with that, and um, it doesn't even have to be tweaks. I think, Niels, um, to give you one example, one of the examples I'm looking at right now. I'm not going to be opening up too much about it, but there's a strategy that I've been looking at uh, many many years ago on cash equities holding cash equities at a certain point in time during the day overnight um, things like this right and that's a strategy that you could get to work in in the us because commissions in the us on cash equities are pretty low you can trade for a buck right regardless of how many shares you trade and and there's a market on close facility and market on open so you can get away you can participate in the auctions you don't have any slippage whereas If you wanted to trade that same strategy, say, on Swiss stocks, on German stocks, on French stocks, Italian stocks, Australian stocks, the same kind of like characteristic is there, but the commissions are so much higher, for instance, in Germany or Switzerland, that there's just no chance that you could make any profit with that strategy. You'd just be losing money all the time, right? Now, the strategy is in the graveyard, therefore, for German stocks, but... It just turns out that there's a new, you know, broker firm coming up, uh, offering to trade for one Euro, right? So the thing is, is back on the table and, you know, uh, not, not many people seem to be trading that. So it's, it's an opportunity to get in, um, until maybe it does become crowded. Um, and, and then the, you know, the, the effect goes away, but you know, it's, it's also things like this, the landscape changes, commissions change, um, the way markets operate change. And, um, so I like the fact that, you know, you should keep them in the back of your head and, you know, once in a while revisit them and just press F9 on your computer and see how they work. Absolutely.
3: People are laughing because we got a spreadsheet this week from a friend and he just said, keep pushing
2: F9, keep pushing F9. Yeah, push F9 all the time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. absolutely. That's true. I've a fair amount of, uh, nine, you know, uh, the ADRs, the European and uh, Chinese ADRs, uh, in my stock portfolio to get that international exposure that you lose when you, you, know, you got to get it back when you stop trading indexes. Um, and then there's a fair amount of companies in the, the more liquid companies in the U S that uh, they're not an ADR for instance, but they are located, they're headquartered in a, another country. So that's just a FYI. I think um, as you guys, as everybody in the world works towards being more like me, in trading uh, single stocks, you can still get some of that diversification, right, in,
1: from the different countries. Absolutely. That was a great start for the uh, the, the tweets this week. What uh, what other things to do? Were there more from uh, Wayne and, and Corey, or where else did your Twitter? A couple.
3: Of, um, a couple of, I, I tweeted some things from the AQR paper that I liked. Mm-hmm. They're the best. These papers, and it's. Encouraging and insightful to read. And then I also got some other little tidbits from um, an institutional investor article that was commenting on this paper. So uh, this one is a little different. So we'll go with that one. Uh, the AQR people are saying that uh, one of Warren Buffett's success secrets is that he takes a lot of volatility. His magic skill is that despite some fairly horrific and non too short relative and absolute return periods, He stuck with his style and his risk level like grim death. Uh, So I think that that got a lot of interest because, you know, people are very, people who read my uh, Twitter page, they're very interested in uh, being encouraged to keep at it and be disciplined and how this uh, is one of the keys to investing. And then uh, I like this idea that uh, maybe volatility for CTAs is going to be incredibly scrutinized. But, oh, good old Uncle Warren, oh, you know, he, he sits there and he has these bad periods. It's really kind of humorous and funny because we know he comes back and keeps making lots of money. And I just think that's kind of funny uh, that his secret to success and his magic skill is something that's kind of available to all of us.
1: Yeah, I think they were quoting something from their research that he had been underperforming the S and P by seventy six percent. I mean, that's a that's a handsome underperformance. Yet, uh, of course, uh, he, uh, he you know he rarely gets uh, the same headlines in the press as as we do. But uh, but there we are. Cliff goes on to say in that article, uh, in investing, perhaps more so
3: than any other field, you truly have to learn to meet with triumph and disaster, and treat. Those two impostors just is the same. We didn't think we were so great 16 months ago, and I don't think we stink now. So I think that's you know that's another good way of saying it. Um, your great periods, your, your bad periods, they're kind of imposters. Um We just have a tendency to get really happy and, or get really sad, and yet um, we're always going to be wrong by being overconfident or being overly pessimistic when we're following these systems and uh, these ideas these trends that go in and out and our performance goes in and out and it really has nothing to do with anything. It's just testing us. Um, so I think that was, you know, I like that triumph
1: and disaster or imposters. I agree. I agree. Okay. So a small change in the programming. We simply lost Jerry. His audio, uh, could not keep up this weekend. So, uh, We will just continue, Moritz, and um, why don't we look at the the Q&A? We'll jump uh, over the the tweets that Jerry uh, will continue with next week, but uh, let's go to the Q&A and see where that takes our discussion. Um, First question is from James, um, and um, James is wondering um, if we could guide him to... Any material or discussion on specific stop-loss management, the pros and the cons of these, I'm really looking for something that you think might be effective for allowing a trade slash trend to breathe without giving the bulk of the returns back. Perhaps the holy grail, but an area that interests me. There was a mention about a white paper on random coin flipping, trade entries, and with tight risk management. I would like to know where... I could get a copy of this if possible i think actually this might have come from you moritz but why don't we talk about the topic uh, in any ways and see where we go
2: sure so stop loss management um so i will have another look at finding that paper it's um what, what has been referenced here is the uh, random entry coin tossing experiment by tom basso there's information um to be found there on tom's website if you just use Google Tom Basso, then you know you'll find that website, and there's a YouTube video on there which explains the experiment, and there may also be a link to the paper. But um, I'll see if I can if, if I can find that paper, and then if I can, I'll make it available. Just one of the things in terms of stops. I mean, over the years, you know this, you know finding stops or you know finding out how to place stops and where to place them is, um, you know, it's, that's a very important thing. You know, I've migrated toward that becoming looser and looser and looser over time. You know, I don't want the stops to be too tight. I don't want to be, um, um, you know, uh, cut out of a position all too quickly and, and give up on the trend. And maybe I can just, you know, mention two books, which, which I found immensely helpful um, when I was you know looking at those backs at those uh, things many, many years ago and they're both from um, Van Tharp. Uh, one is called the Division, Definitive Guide to Position Sizing. That's a book that's a bit difficult to find these days, but uh, if you make an effort then I think it can be found. And the other was called um, I think Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom. a bit of a lengthy title, but there's a lot of information. there lots of really, really good information. About you know how to position size, how to you know uh, play stops, um, and you know things like this. So, if you're interested in learning more about this, those are the two books that I can really recommend on that.
1: And how's your own sort of stop loss interpretation evolved in terms of techniques? I mean, you say you want to keep them a little bit looser per se, but are there any specific uh, techniques that you have evolved into? I mean, classically, I guess. People, most people are familiar with the classical kind of trailing stop that could be based on you know x number of days low or something like that. Uh, we obviously know from the old turtle rule that it was twenty day in, right. ten day out, and forty day in and twenty day out. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you've found that um, still extremely has evolved close from to that those techniques? Okay, uh, okay.
2: Niels? Um There's an initial stop. The stops then. Start trailing after a while and depending on how the markets move. But what I wanted to say is like, you know, my stop is, um, is a certain number of ATRs away from the entry level, but that ATR number has become wider, larger over the years. And it used to be more narrow when I started out, but um, I don't like that that much anymore. And I'd rather prefer to have um, the stops a bit farther away and, uh, and have a looser fit to my positions.
1: Yeah, no makes sense. I I mean I think that um James from from my point of view we at 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 Don we don't use stops. We 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 manage our positions uh, differently. So so uh, so there's nothing there I can reference to but uh in my experience another way of looking at stops and what you're trying to achieve of course is to uh, you know, give give trades a little bit more breathing room. Um, but you don't want to give up too much of your, uh, open profit. Or uh, you know, uh, in the end, um, so one thing that uh I was involved with a number of years back, um, uh, we were using different types of stops. So the way that uh, March just described it would be certainly be one of them. But another stop would be something that was uh, somewhat time sensitive, and what we did was we allowed the stop to be wider in the beginning of the trend, and then we, as the trend uh, went on in time, it automatically would tighten itself. Um, so that's another way of, of doing so, because, and I'm not. I mean, this is there's not there's no perfect answer here, of course, but. Uh, we all know that the the longer the trend, at some point you could say the closer it is to its to coming to an end, and so having something that tightens it up a little bit, uh, you know, as it matures, uh, might might work. I mean, you obviously have to test this, um, but the idea would be to say you could use a few different types of stops, um, and then. Each day, you would just pick the one that is closest to where the current price is. Um, That's one, that's certainly one approach. Uh, It doesn't have to be, you know, a stop that's only based on one specific uh, set of rules. In my opinion, you can have a few different ones in the background and then choose the one that is closest to the price, um, for example.
2: I once experimented with those time stops, and, um, you know, the idea. I you know, I understand the the rationale behind that. you say the longer the trend has been going on, the closer it may be to its end. and um, so I looked at that, I tested that and and I stepped away from it because I had a problem with uh, sample size on that one. Um, if i if you know if, if i if I forced the time stop to come in too often, like if I really wanted to have a large sample so that it's you know it's meaningful for that time stop to to really be in action then it deteriorated the performance of my system. And I could only get an improvement of the system, of the results, if I um, you know, had the, the time stop only be effective, I don't know, 10 or 15 or you know, 20 times or something like that. So, And then you know, every time you have this, it's not a reliable sample. So I haven't found an answer on that one, but um, that is not to say that you know, there's a way to, to figure
1: this out. Exactly. One have to go and do their own research uh, into that. This is more like brainstorming a little bit for for James here. Next question is from uh, Brian. Um, And uh, Brian uh, starts out with some very kind words about the show, which is great. We appreciate that. Uh, My question is, what site or program would you recommend for backtesting? I've been trend-following since 2009, but I have not spent any time on backtesting. My system works pretty well, but would like uh, a good way uh, to test it. Thanks for any info you can share. So, um, Moritz, anything that springs to mind that Brian might be able to look at?
2: The easy start is Excel, as always, right? And um, another thing that I really used a lot and and which I still like is TradeStation. With easy, easy language um, scripting language, relatively easy to learn and then use. Um, also, in a portfolio of markets, um, you know, for trend following, all of that works with with TradeStation. So, that could be one alternative. But, you know, in, in in this day and age, with powerful computers and Excel, if you have a good data source, you know, be it CSI or whatever you're using, um, Excel can do it, and um, and it does have advantages because you know you can. You can see what you're doing there. You can see the results. You can do the stats. Um, just a you know great tool to, to work with.
1: What's the pitfalls of Excel? Uh, do you think? I mean, I'm not a, a sort of an ex- of course it's, Excel it's expert, not, right?
2: Right. It, it's not a programming language that is easily you know not like in, in in Python or R where you can specify a ton of parameters and then quickly change them and rerun the entire thing. Um, it's a bit more you know static strict in that in that regard and you know that you have to put in the data and the the data is in a in a certain order and so it's not as dynamic right once you've once you've worked with it and once you've put the data in and you created that spreadsheet it kind of like exists in that shape and form and you have to work with that and it's not that easily to modify and adapt and you know programming language that is what a programming language is doing you change a parameter and you run the thing again um but again, you know, if, if you have already an idea or you just want to play around and you know test some early things, um Excel is great. And once you've found it, once you've found the system that you really like and you want to implement that in practice, it, it can it can be done with Excel. I'm not saying that's impossible to do, but if you've really found it, maybe then you know you want to convert that into a um into another system, Python, for instance. And uh, and make that your operational system on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in my own experience, uh, Brian, I would say often uh, it, it, the the default ends up, you know, finding someone that you can actually that can program these things uh, to make a really serious attempt uh, on on the backtesting side. But I completely agree with uh, with Moritz that uh, you know with Excel you can do a lot. Um, clearly you have software such as uh, TradeStation, um, and although I have not used it myself, um, but then there's another software which I don't know if it's how updated it is still, but there was a piece of software called Trading Blocks uh, uh, some time ago um, that also you know looked like a um, a tool that could use be useful for backtesting um so anyways i hope that helps a little bit uh, brian but unfortunately often with these things um, if you want to do a really thorough job in terms of backtesting it 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 really requires some 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 level of skill set uh, in terms of uh, programming um, but hopefully excel can be a good start uh, paul has um, Paul has a, uh, I'm not even sure if it's a question or a comment, but I'm happy to share it. It refers to a question that we got from Bruno uh, a little while ago, end of June. Uh, Paul follows up uh, with, he said, everything you said to Bruno made a lot of sense. I would just add a little tidbit, which is part of the answer you gave to my question a few weeks ago, which I found really useful. That is, diversifying is not only about diversifying asset classes, which is the normal way investors typically think about diversification, but also can be about diversifying diversifying the look-back period. If Bruno did backtesting with different time periods, he no doubt found that the longer backtest times had higher overall returns, which is hard to pass up, but the larger drawdowns, which is emotionally difficult when it happens. Why... Why not split between multiple time periods, the shorter ones will not provide the best performance but as long as they are profitable and by taking some money off the table you may it may make it easier to hang in there uh, with a the longer time period when going through the drawdown. Uh, both uh, but trade both systems systematically. I mean, I w- completely agree. I think both Mor- Moritz and I would say that, yeah, I mean, diversification, part of that is, of course, diversifying your look-back period. Um, now, what we found on our side is that uh, we actually allow our model to look at timeframes that are relatively short up until uh, relatively long timeframes. Um. And we have a process that automatically selects the specific time length or look back periods that we want to trade live. It's an automatic process, which we've been using for the past 13 years. And uh, it allows the model to recalibrate itself uh, to changes in market structure as and when they occur. Uh, Now, of course, it doesn't change the look back periods that often. And, of course, also, um, it never selects anything in the shorter-term space uh, or time space because, as you suggest, Paul, uh, they tend not to be as profitable as the longer-term time frames. Um, I mean, I think it's interesting uh, about this question because I think a lot of trend followers have ended up in the last decade or so becoming a bit more long-term. I know that Jerry talks about it. Um, and um, with us because it's an automated process, uh, it it, you know it has certainly occurred as well. Um, but I don't follow it. That's you know, uh, that closely. Um, what's been your experience, Moritz, in terms of your own look back period? Have they changed a lot in the last 10 years or so?
2: Yeah, I mentioned that before. It's um, like Jerry, it's become longer term. This is just working better and the shorter term or medium term short term time frames that used to work back in the days you know especially back in you know when Jerry started out um they are no longer as effective but as we've said before there is a you know research graveyard and those systems exist and i think it's it's very interesting to rerun them periodically and see how they're coping and how they're keeping up with those markets and i've also said on that show that i haven't been I haven't given up on them completely, right? So there is a space for those type of timeframes in my portfolio. And I completely agree that diversification across different timeframes um, or across different systems, if you like, if, if you say, you know, it's, it's a new system, if it's trading on a new timeframe, but this is very important. And, you know, I don't wanna just be trading one long-term window I want to trade a combination of things, you know, um, of course, with right now concentration around the longer-term end of things, but there's medium-term exposure in there. There's some short, shorter-term exposure in there. And as we have seen last year, I mean, last year, the short-term systems have had the best performance. And the longer-term timeframes, they really didn't work, right? Now, it, it didn't make a great year, but, you know, I was... I was glad to have had some of the short-term systems in the portfolio, even though they didn't you know, um, uh, swing the portfolio around, but they, they helped. And that's, that's just so much easier than to live through difficult times if you have that diver- diversification.
1: Yeah, completely agree. Um, and we actually did a study at the beginning of this year to look at timeframes specifically. Uh, we went back 28 years, so 1990 through 2018, to look at what would the optimal... Uh, look back period have been for each year for a trend following system like we use and it was really surprising to me uh, or, or enlightening to me to see how different one year could be from another. I mean, you could literally have one year where the best time frame was two hundred and forty days, and the next year that the best time frame was forty days. I mean, it literally is that different. So the so so, and of course, we never know this in advance. Uh, I wish we did, but we don't. So, um, so the key thing is to find something that uh, can deal with this these changes well. Um, and and I think that's probably why most people tend to be in the longer term time frame. And of course, another reason is of course that if you were if you are short term, uh, your trading volume increases a lot, and and uh, and therefore it limits the capacity. And and for sure, there are managers that would rather tra- trade you know more money, uh, and and then become a little bit long term. Um, so so that influences also the decision, but. Great question. Thanks very much. Um, James is back uh, with another question. Uh, He did actually send it in before, but it came in um, uh, and as a follow-up a little bit to the first question about diversification. So he says, another question I had for all of you for the CTA strategies, asset diversification, signal diversification, process diversification... Do you believe there is an optimal level, i.e., is there a point where too much diversification impacts the overall return profile? It's certainly a point that's come up before um, in 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 our space. I mean, when does diversification become diversification? I think is how it's sometimes phrased, and um, and uh, that probably is uh, a level. Um, I mean. I'll be interested to hear what 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 you say, Moritz. But in my view, I think one of the challenges for us as managers is really not making our systems too complex. Meaning, there are so many things we can do, and in theory, it might look like it's going to improve our pro you know our programs, but in reality, when you when you put all this complexity together, um you end up with something that is is not as robust, quote unquote robust, uh, as something that is slightly, um, you know, uh, more simp- simple. And I know from from the, our conversation with Corey, he talked about how making things too simple can be making it fragile, but also making things too complicating can making it fragile. And I think that's very true. And 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 I I really feel that sometimes we're trying to make things a little bit too fancy. Um, because I think to a large extent, that makes for a good story and stories, they sell without a doubt. Um, and I think that's something we have to to um, uh, stay away from. I mean, we should stick with what we believe is the best strategy, uh, even if it's not the most complex and and, and sexy story um you know it's it's it and but but I also would say that I think that's the hard part of what we do is to take uh something that is uh, or could be made complex and and distill it down to something that is uh simpler um but where you have a much uh, greater chance of it working through many different uh environments I mean I've quoted this before but I think it's an interesting uh, fact at least. And that is that there are so many of these strategies that have been uh, accused of uh, not doing as well in the last 10 years compared to what they were doing uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, etc., etc. But when we do the research on our side, we actually don't see that. Uh, We see the same performance uh, in the last five, six years as we have done uh, in the previous you know 30 plus years um and um, and I, and I think that is you know where you where you try and strike the balance um between making something that is definitely not super simple but it's also not so complex that some kind of small change in the market structure will completely um you know throw it off course uh, so to speak what what's your thoughts about? you know, these things, Moritz.
2: Yeah, I have a few thoughts on that. Um, Well, first of all, I just love the benefits of diversification. And in terms of complexity, so say I had a portfolio that's trading 70 markets, right? All in the same way, long and short, they're all treated in the same way. Now, if I'm adding an additional market or 10 additional markets to that portfolio, so the 70 becomes now 80, to me, that is not an increase in complexity. That's now just a larger portfolio that's doing exactly the same thing as before if I added a different time frame a new time frame, say I'm trading ten time frames I'm now trading eleven right or I'm trading twenty I'm now trading twenty one again to me that is not complexity that is just a part of the system I put it in it's run in a systematic way just in the same way as all of the other parts of the system again to me that's not complexity, but it yields diversification right and I I fail to understand that, you know, people sometimes, you know, I hear that, well it's not worth doing that because it's not moving the needle. And we all know that after you've added the fifteenth market or the twentieth market or, you know, the nth market, the extra benefit you get from the next market is diminishing. And statistically that's correct, right? But why, even if the benefit is small? I have nothing to you know, just throw away if, if that benefit is small, but it, you know, it doesn't cost me really a lot of effort to put it into the system. So I still want to have it, right? And it's there, so I take it. So I'm a big fan of that. You know, I want to trade as many different markets, as many independent systems, independent markets, as I possibly can, but in the same way, right? If I didn't trade them in the same way, if I traded weed in a different way than Bitcoin, right then that would add complexity to my system because I'm essentially then doing two different things you know within one system that's not what I want to do but um other than that just yeah i mean put them all in there it uh, it doesn't really it doesn't really bother me and and i'm happy if i can do it
1: no i mean for for things like that i i generally uh, agree uh, i think when i talk about complexity I think if you put in too many rules that kind of has to be lived up to, triggered, whatever we call it, I think that's where the complexity comes in. Because I think what people try to do is they come up with these extra small rules to avoid the the false signals, right? So, oh, yeah, if I just added this and I just added that, then it wouldn't have taken all these bad trades – that's where I find sometimes you you might uh, fool yourself uh, a, a bit, but I like uh, I like I what agree you said with that. about and then
2: yeah. maybe it becomes a storytelling exercise where managers say, "Well, I have this super special sauce and this special element in my system which is so great," and and you know then it's just kind of like the marketing side of the thing. But um, I think Jerry has a tweet out there or it used to be his t- pin tweet which just says, "Jesse Peak, if you don't want to be told a story, right." And in essence, this is what we're just talking about. It doesn't have to be overly complex. What we want to do as trend followers is not per se complex. We're following trends. Of course, there's different ways of doing that, but it doesn't have to be super, super duper complex.
1: Unfortunately, most people do want a story more. Yeah, I know <laughs> so, that. I know that. So yeah. that's, of course, that's you that's have our, to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that is just how the world works. Yes. but anyways, um, we had a nice little comment from Mike, um, and maybe I touched upon this last week. I can't remember um, because it's already been a week. Um, so, uh, but Mike just said, you know, trend following in alpha, architect wealth, of common sense, and invest like the best. All in the same week. Good luck. Getting this week's episode under ninety minutes. I think what Mike was saying was that there was a couple of articles, and and I I made a little bit of a comment on it. But there's recently been a couple of articles out from some really well known FinTweets uh, guys and people that I think we all have a lot of respect for, and they were doing their uh, analysis on trend following and 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 why they didn't think necessarily it was better than you know, long only or whatever. But I think this was relating specifically to trend following on, on stocks. And um, and as I think I mentioned last week, I did my longest tweet ever as a response to to these articles um, because I realized that you can combine tweets so you get more characters, which is great. But anyways, my, my point that I just raised was that it's fine to talk about trend following per se, even when you talk about trend following stocks only. But in my opinion, trend following was not invented for just trading stocks. Uh, in fact, stock equity futures were not even invented as a market when the pioneers of trend following got started. They got started trading commodities, and where you can get a lot of diversification. Because I think the the secret source to trend following is the diversification which we just talked about um, and so when people show me analysis about why it's not necessarily producing the same returns as long own inequities, but they call it trend following, I kind of get I kind of get the feeling that they are missing the point a little bit. Um, I, I understand if they talk about momentum as a factor. I think you can certainly talk about momentum as a factor like you can on value when it comes to uh, equities uh, as a standalone uh, sector. But for me, trend following really has to incorporate the fully diversified or at least a somewhat diversified portfolio to be meaningful. And therefore, I, I wasn't too concerned that these guys um, didn't think that trend following on equities only uh, was um, quite as successful as... As, uh, even though, I mean, they of course their analysis shows that your your drawdowns get lower uh, and all of that good stuff, which which can be useful for an investor, of course, but you also lose something out, uh, or you lose you lose so, uh, out on something, um, uh, and that is the, the big turns when when equities just suddenly start to rise quickly, and you still find yourself short because you're following the quote unquote downtrend until you get uh, long again, you lose too much really. Um, And that's something we can relate to on our side. I mean, if we just look at our equity um, profit uh, and loss um, for the past 10 years, then there would definitely have been long periods of time where the equity part of the portfolio didn't do so well, where it was other markets doing the heavy lifting. Like this year, uh, it's fixed income doing the heavy lifting, uh, which means that there are sectors that are not making money and maybe have not made money for a few years. And that's the beauty of trend following, the way I view trend following that is you have a diversified portfolio, there is always going to be a few trends somewhere when you have all these markets that you trade. So that's, that. you know, so to you, Mike, I mean, thanks for the heads up on the articles. I had seen them um, and maybe you did as well, Moritz, and maybe you think something completely different to what I just said, but, uh, but I just wanted to uh, to acknowledge Mike for his comment.
2: I think exactly the same, and um, had the same thoughts. You know, the I, I really like um, the content that Wes Gray from Alpha Architect produces. Just you know that that article on trend following, just focusing and zeroing in on equities only. I thought, well, that's not that's not the way we should really do that, right? I mean, it's it's a portfolio of things. Um, equities play a role, as do commodities, currencies, and bonds, and Bitcoin, and whatever you have in there. But it should not just be only equities. And this just like you said, Niels, when it all started out, there wasn't even a financial equity index future available, right? It was corn and wheat and you know, I'm not sure which one was the first one, but I guess one of those two. And um and so yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said.
1: And and actually that 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 leads me to think that maybe we need to do more. As an industry, to try and distinguish that, because we, you know, there are there are books out there and 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 uh, you know people talking about you know oh you can just do trend following uh, you know as a concept and you can just apply it to equities if you want to, but I think they leave out the warning sign you know the the health warning about doing it in a narrow uh, to a narrow asset class. Um, because, of course, as we know, I mean, equities to a large extent can be highly correlated. So, so, um, so there's no internal, at least not the same amount of internal diversification as you would get if you traded, say, lean hogs and, 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 and the S&P. I mean, there's a lot more diversification there. So, um, so maybe we need to do a better job of telling people, well, if you talk about momentum on equities, that's fine, but that's not trend following. And I'm not so sure I see that debate out there. Um, But uh, So, anyways, thanks so much, Mike, for for that. Now, the last question is from our good friend Sam. Um, Unfortunately, it is probably a question for Jerry, and since we lost his audio today, um, we may have to come back to this. But let's see where we go. Uh, Maybe you have some views on this, uh, Moritz. Uh, Sam goes on to say, In the past, Jerry has said, Soon after the turtle program ended, he realized he needed to take his time frame from 20 to 40 days and lengthen it by maybe 5 to 10x. What evidence or experience would lead to this realization? Obviously, becoming unprofitable might be one, but we tend to look at other metrics. Would it be an increase in trade volume relative to the past shorter trade duration, lower win percentage, noise over volatility, increase, etc. The realization is very profound and critical, uh, so understanding a bit more of the underlying factors would be helpful. While I use Jerry as an example, I think you can all contribute on this. Um, great question, Sam, um, as always. Um, Moritz, I think we touched upon this a little bit, but um, do you want to f- give a few specific comments to uh, sam um as to what may trigger a realization that you know our our time frame uh should increase yeah i'm looking forward also to uh hearing jerry's
2: answers on on that next week but it is in essence a deterioration of um of trade stats right maybe slippage, you know, signal frequency, win rates, average loss, average gain, all of that over a longer time frame, obviously, you know, you don't want to be jumping to conclusions just because you see um, your trade stats getting getting weaker over, you know, a month, two or three. Um, But, you know, for a certain time period, a longer time span, if you see a continuous degradation in those trade stats, then, you know, you may want to look at that time frame. And you know, as 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 far as, as I'm concerned, I mean, it's not just been one of those shorter term time frames that stopped working. It's essentially all of the shorter term time frames that started to weaken in terms of quality. So there was a you know an evidence there, uh, a piece of evidence across time frames, you know, twenty days, twenty-five days, thirty days, forty days, all of that, right? And they all weakened. And and so it suggested that there is there's something there, there's something in the market that just um, causes those time frames to no longer work as well. And we can all speculate as to what that is. Participation, crowding, you know, electronic markets. Who knows what the final answer on that is, right? But the fact is, it's no longer working as well as it did before, right? Whereas the medium and longer-term timeframes, they continue to work. So that is, you know, after observing that for, you know, a longer period of time, um, I've made that shift. But it's not like, I'm not, just looking at one thing. I'm not just looking at what is the average gain or the average loss of that one time frame. There's a combination of things, many different statistics that I want to have a look at before making those decisions.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And yes, no, I too look forward to hearing Jerry's answer because I think we touched upon this with him a few weeks ago um, or maybe even last week with Salem. And I don't think we necessarily, uh, or at least I can't remember the answer so we'll come back to that uh next week when we have jerry back on again i thought that that was the last question by the way uh this week uh thanks to all of you uh and for those of you who have a question that you want uh, us to try and uh, answer uh just send your question to info at toptradersonplug.com then we will do our very best to um, give you uh, uh some feedback now uh, why don't I run through performance so far this uh, month, this year, and then we think about anything else we want to bring up in this slightly unusual uh, episode, where we lost, um, where we lost Jerry halfway, so to speak. Um, but, anyways, um, as of Thursday evening, uh, which was July fourth, of course. So, Happy Independence Day to those of you who reside in the US. Um, uh, the B top 50 index off to a, a great start, 2.75 uh, up for the month, up 8.11 for the year. Soggen CTA index same picture, up 2.62 percent for the month, up 7.46 for the year. The trend index on fire, plus four for the month, um, plus 11.73 for the year. Uh, Sogtjen Short-Term Traders Index up 0.68 for the month, now up almost 1% for the year, and the Bridge Alternatives Index up 2.86 for the month, up 8.41 for the year. So great start uh, and continued uh strong performance uh from the uh, various CTA indices that we track. Now, Moritz, I wanted to just maybe say a couple of words regarding the live event before we finish completely or bring up any other things you want to talk about but we do need now people to to um, you know commit so we can finalize this event um because if if we don't get enough participants then we will just um uh, not do it, so to speak, and and uh, for those of you who have already uh, signed up and paid up, don't worry, we'll just refund you the uh, the money, but we, we want to do this event, so we want to get 10 to 12 people uh, in the room in New York, October 26th, 27th, and really try and make some breakthroughs for you in your trading or in your business. Um, and we have no doubt that we can uh, deliver on that. Um, so if you want to spend two days with Jerry and Moritz and, and myself, uh, then please do let us know and uh, be prepared to commit to that so that we can make the final arrangements. Because, of course, we have to commit on our side to do so. What else have come across your desk this week, Morris. that you think would be relevant to bring up in this week's... I oh, uh, wanted to mention the
2: exact same thing. I'd be so happy and glad to see people in New York when we're there. I think yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, please reach out to us, uh, info at Unplugged, send Neil's an email, and we'd be uh, super excited to see people there.
1: Absolutely. I think it will be something quite... Quite unique, um, and uh, and also because it's going to be in a very safe forum. Um, you know, everyone is going to respect the confidentiality of what's being talked about. Um, so you know, not only are people going to learn from our experience, um, we're going to learn from each other. And um, and and this is about. I mean, really, this is about cutting off five maybe more years from from people's uh, journey and speeding things up for them uh, whether it comes to improving um the way they go about their research that their, their systems um, or even how to go about you know raising uh, assets and and growing their business um it is something we've all done um and have a lot of experience with so um so as as moritz said we really do hope to to see a few more people uh, so we can wrap up the, um, the preparations for that. Um, anything else uh, Moritz on this um, rainy and windy day in Denmark where I am today? And a sunny day in Munich. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
2: no, but happy
1: trading and have a great week next week everyone. Fantastic. On that note, we're going to wrap up this week's conversation we hope that you enjoyed it and of course um you are welcome to take advantage of all the free resources you can find on on the website toptradersonplot.com um you know they're a lot than just the uh, episodes that you uh, listen to um, and uh, of course if you feel you get any value from our conversations um, one thing we really would be grateful for would be if you take two minutes out go to iTunes, leave a rating and review. Uh, You have no idea how much it helps us in the rankings and um, so we would be very grateful for that. I was just about to say from Jerry, Moritz and me, but Jerry was here. For those of you who tuned in later in the show, Jerry was here for the first half an hour. So I will say from Jerry, Moritz and me, thank you so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.